This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, June 29, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. President Trump talks about infrastructure the way many politicians do. It's deficient, it's crumbling, and rebuilding it would drive economic growth in tremendous ways. Ryan Bourne is author of the new Cato report, Would More Government Infrastructure Spending Boost the U.S. Economy? We spoke earlier this month. So I guess describe the difference here between the fears associated with what uh, Donald Trump was going to unveil as his big federal infrastructure spending program and what we actually got. Well, I think many conservatives and libertarians were fearful that Trump was going to go for a huge splurge in infrastructure spending. Uh, He'd obviously touted this um, quite arbitrary figure of investing an extra uh, trillion uh, dollars over the next decade. Now, it wasn't at all clear at any stage how much of that would be federal funding. But certainly in the infrastructure initiative he launched a couple of weeks ago, uh, the figure of $200 billion over a, a, a decade was used there, which was a lot lower than I think many people had initially uh, feared. Um, and on the on the good side, on the positive side, he seemed to be talking much more about the supply side of the provision of infrastructure. So he was emphasizing the need to speed up the permitting processes in terms of getting construction activity underway. He was talking about streamlining environmental regulations. He was saying that the federal government in many ways plays an unnecessary middleman and he wanted to see local and state governments um, come up with their own solutions to infrastructure projects. And he also talked about uh, streamlining environmental regulations as well. So um, it certainly wasn't as bad as many conservatives and libertarians had feared it would. So what's inside though? Well, there's still a lot of details that obviously we don't know. We don't know how projects are going to be selected. Uh, there's always a fear with the Trump administration that, that there's going to be a lot of politicization of these types of decisions. We didn't hear anything really in the plan about whether robust kind of cost benefit and risk analysis was going to be was going to be used. What we do know, we've got some kind of small provisional details that of that 200 billion about 15 billion is going to be dedicated to so-called transformative projects now how you define that uh, I, I'm not sure 100 billion towards uh, local governments and about 25 billion in rural areas where um, quite often it's more difficult to harness in private sector investment so there's some sketchy details but there's a hell of a lot that we still don't know all right so um If the idea is to get states and localities to take control of their own infrastructure uh, spending, that would seem to suggest that the federal government should, if not block grant it, simply get out of the way. Well, I think that's right. And that sort of language and that sort of thought process was certainly there in the infrastructure initiative. Uh, In the paper that I've written, I outlined some of the the problems with federal aid and the way that money is allocated in a way almost entirely devoid of uh, divorced, sorry, from from economic need in in many regards. So an example that that Ed, Edward Glazer, the economist, has cited, for example, is that the Highway Trust Fund in divvying out the the money from the gas tax revenues uh, in 2015 uh, gave Alaska per head of population about eight times more than New York. Now, clearly, that's divorced from the, the, the kind of economic needs, the growth needs of, of those states. So if you can localise decision-making, localise tax-raising powers as much as possible, then you'd hope that there'd be a better match between the demand for infrastructure and the provision of infrastructure. Uh, many of the states that President Trump won were are states that do not contribute uh, a, a large share of uh, revenues to the federal government. They are, in many many cases, at least in my state of Kentucky, pretty poor states. Uh, and that seems to be where 
I would guess President Trump would like to spend a lot of money. Well, maybe, but um, certainly in this infrastructure initiative, he didn't seem to be talking about that sort of pork barrel politics uh, in the same way. Um, and from an economic perspective, um, you'd imagine that you'd want to actually invest in areas where there's very, very high uh, growth potential. Now, the conclusion that I came to when reviewing the evidence and looking at some of the economic reasoning is actually that the federal government goes far too far in, in, it, in terms of its role in provision of infrastructure already. Actually, what the federal government should be doing is only providing infrastructure, only getting involved in projects when uh, states and localities and the private sector can't for whatever reason, or there are issues whereby um, you need coordination between uh, lots of states and that introduces transactions costs and actually it's it's cheaper, better, more efficient for the federal government uh, to provide that infrastructure. But I, I can understand what you're saying in terms of the, uh, the the politics here. And certainly we don't know the details as yet as to which projects are going to be selected and how those projects are going to be selected. There's still a fear that there will be that kind of politicization, that kind of pork barrel spending. But that wasn't the emphasis of his document. The uh, He has adopted a lot of rhetoric that sounds uh, like the same things that people like Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton or any number of uh, Democrats would use about crumbling infrastructure, about how uh, everything is uh, so many so many bridges are deficient and things like that. Where does that actually stand in terms of looking at the stock of what we know as infrastructure? Uh, how how good is it? Well, the problem with looking at infrastructure is that in the absence of markets, in the absence of prices, it's difficult to know exactly how much is needed in terms of uh, new investment at uh, any given time. So, um, as a substitute for not having that that's those sort of market signals. We come up with all of these proxies. So you have things like um, uh, the American Society for Civil Engineers estimating how much is needed to hit particular targets in terms of the quality and quantity of infrastructure. We often compare um, the amount invested to other countries. We use these cross-country um, comparisons. But the problem is with all of these things, they don't really get at the key economic question, which is how much is needed given changing demands and given changing demand um, patterns. Now, clearly, um, the quality of infrastructure um, uh, is is part of the concern when you're deciding uh, how to invest. But really, politicians tend to exaggerate the the kind of uh, nature of American infrastructure and and are very very pessimistic about it. Um, evidently, there are some situations where you have particular bridge collapses or whatever where that's an issue for that area and that particular bridge. But if you look broadly over the last twenty years. The proportion of bridges which are structurally deficient has um, fallen uh, consistently over two decades. Um, the average quality of um, highway travelled on has improved in quality over that period. There are certain other indicators that have worsened. Um, the extent of congestion uh, has gone up. And certainly when you look at transit systems, the quality in terms of uh, the age of um, the age of vehicles, um, the state of disrepair or repair or disrepair of facilities appears to have got worse. But it's not without, again, without those market signals, we don't know how much of that disrepair is just because we shouldn't be investing in it because actually demand patterns are moving away from that and in future they may move away from it further with things like driverless cars or how much, if there was a market or if there was um, price signals, how much we should be investing given rising demands in those areas. Or, or if this is it's purely a political question and those investments, whether or not they should be made, simply aren't going to be made because the voters aren't there. 
That, yeah, well, that's certainly true as well. Yeah. One of the other issues with uh, infrastructure that is, uh, seems to be troubling is that without a given level of infrastructure, the types of economic benefits uh, cannot be realized, uh, but we don't know what the economic benefits we can realize with an improvement in infrastructure. Is that about right? Well, yeah, you could you could change that and you could summarize that as saying you'd imagine the first interstate highway system might raise economic growth potential quite strongly, but we don't need a second um, interstate highway system. Uh, so there's definitely diminishing um, marginal returns. And actually in the paper, I look at some evidence of that in regards to the highway system. Uh, some analysis has actually suggested that over the past 30 years uh, on net, the, um, there's been too many uh, new highways or too, you know, too much extension of the highway system given, um, given the impact of that extra um, capacity on the cost base. Um, as I say, you'd imagine that at the start when you provide new infrastructure, if you join two places together, it would have a big impact on cost. Extending those highways in some ways has a much lesser impact. In uh, conversations that I've had with uh, other Cato folks, uh, Randall O'Toole and Chris Edwards, um, the one one concern is the definition of infrastructure and how broadly that can be uh, construed. You talk about some sort of general terms that were used in some of the, the president's plans that he's laid out, but uh, the, I can't imagine that a new downtown basketball arena is something that could be construed as infrastructure, but depending on how the money flows and who is put in charge of it, it certainly could qualify. Well, it's infrastructure for the private company, uh, but you're right in that there's no hard and fast definition of what infrastructure is uh, as commonly asserted is. Uh, if we define it merely as things that the public sector does, then it's almost tautological um, because clearly in other countries, um, private sectors do produce and provide railways and, and highways uh, and, and whatever. So it clearly isn't just a public goods definition. There's um, and, but there's some debate as to actually how we should define it because I know that Chris in particular in his work has shown that if you define it broadly in, a, in an economic sense, then actually the overwhelming majority of infrastructure in terms of the kind of capacity and buildings and pipelines and things are actually privately owned in the US rather than being in the public sector. Ryan Bourne is the R. Evan Scharf Chair for the Public Understanding of Economics at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.